episode 59 of A Hoop's Journey is dedicated to the memory of Tom Kinchalski. Episode 59, one in the books. Corbs, I'm going to put you in the spot first here as we uh, talk about the episode that we just finished recording. Um, for those that don't know, I tried to sit down with Coach two months ago, two and a half months ago. I was recording before the end of the school day. Uh, there's a bit of an echo. Corbs was an online class. A fire alarm happened and we had to destroy all the audio. So last week we got a push from our crew out at uh, RBL Basketball. Shout them out. Um, our boy Blake and just basically said hey did you guys check in with Coach K again and I kind of just said do you think he'd be willing to do it you know aware of his time and his age and just if you really wanted to do it and he said yeah go for it and we reached out to him and he was all over it um, full disclosure Corbs what did you know about Coach K before we uh, had the opportunity to talk to him the only thing that I really knew was that he was just a head coach at St. Avex and you played against him in 2001 um, and, you know, you've told told the listeners and you've told me, you know, offline about some stories and just like what it was like to be in Antigonish and all the national stuff. And you've mentioned that a couple of times on the pod, but like I I think you kind of prefaced it early on. I thought he was born and raised in, in like Nova Scotia and just like went there and lived there his entire life. But no, like that's didn't even realize he had a famous brother who was like a well-known scout and did like like five point like five star basketball camps, right? I had I had no idea about kind of that the two brothers um, and their pedigrees and and I definitely didn't know anything about the real Coach K. I think I think we can all agree about that uh, before this episode. So just that was like a master class in like a little bit of Canadian history, Canadian hoops history, some of the names that you know he's had a chance to coach. And, and we, as we found out, still coaching to this day is unbelievable. Yeah, we would like to dedicate that this episode to, uh, to the life of his brother, Tom Konchelski. You know, Coach K talks about him quite often in the episode. And if you don't know anything about him, um, a huge scout. He just passed away recently, and it was a very tough time um, for Coach Konchelski. And I'll say this about the man. He was even willing, close, even closer to the passing of his brother, willing to sit down with us and talk. So... Um, we give him kudos, and we know everyone's going to really enjoy this episode. This is uh, this is a legend and a great man, and we know you're going to love it. Let's go. Episode 59 of A Hoop's Journey, and this is a, a special one for many reasons and for a lot of people across Canada. A kind gentleman who has given his life to the game of basketball uh, 46 years at St. of X coming into retirement so he's got that to figure out um, a three-time national champion as a coach numerous years with the uh, national team as a head and assistant and we are more than thrilled to have uh, round two actually um, for those that don't know we, we've tried this once and uh, our audio just didn't work so we are actually super thankful that um, coach Steve Konchelski was willing to sit down with us again and talk about his hoops journey. How are you, Coach? I'm good. Uh, listen, I, I don't mind doing it again because it's it's basketball, right? So as long as it's, we can talk basketball every six, 365 days of the year, right? Yeah. We had our previous episode was Chris Oliver, um, Basketball Immersion, and he was saying how he's kind of introverted. But if you want to talk basketball, he could talk forever. So <laughs> I think a lot of people are in the same boat, correct? 
Exactly. We all love the game. And how's things? You know, you're uh, just a couple months into uh, what a retired life's going to look like for you. And um, how are things going? It probably feels weird to not be going to the office every day. But uh, what do you? What are some plans for yourself going forward from here? Well, that's a good question. I mean, right now I'm just, like I said, adjusting to not going into, you know, to the office. I'm, I'm one of these people that, you know, hasn't really worked from home even, even during the pandemic. Mm. Um, it's just a habit going and, you know, making that 10, 15 minute walk, uh, back and forth every day. And, uh, you know, burying myself in, in an office, which consisted of, uh, you know, 200 and so uh, pictures on the walls of my of the teams I've coached over the years and players and whatnot. And uh, anyway, it's, it's definitely an adjustment. I set up in an office at home and, uh, you know, I'm keeping busy with things like this. Um, Zoom calls with the national team. I'm still working as a mentor coach uh, with the youth teams, with the uh, age group teams, although certainly that's that's, you know, they're virtual meetings right now. Hopefully this coming year, I'm, I'm going to have some things lined up that's going to keep me heavily involved in the game. Good for you. And I love to hear that mentorship piece. I think that's something that um, not only as a country, but I can speak in the province of British Columbia. We need more of that. We need we need younger coaches asking for mentorship and we need some other older coaches kind of just stepping up and, and looking to support others. And that must be a fun experience for you. Hey, just kind of sharing your knowledge and wealth and having interactions with people that are trying to learn more about the game. Well, exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's basically passing the torch. And just like I did here at St. Vex, where Terrell Vernon um, basically was my uh, lead assistant for the last two years and, you know, kind of learned the ropes more behind the scenes than, than on the court, but a little bit of both, uh, you know, obviously. You know, like I said, I've been doing that for, for 10 years with the national team program. It started in two, 2009, working with Greg Francis. And we had a, a young... Tristan Thompson, a young Kelly Olenek, and a young Corey Joseph on that uh, on that team. Um, you know, my role just basically evolved over the years with the national team. You know, helping grow coaches, and uh, you know, benefiting hopefully from the you know experience of having kind of been there, done that, uh, especially uh, internationally, uh, because obviously those there's a different whole different set of circumstances that that uh, come into play when you're traveling overseas and you're dealing with language and culture and, and referees, I mean, uh, all those things. I love to hear that you're going to still keep your nose in it and find a way to, to stick around because I think you have still have lots to offer and maybe just touch on, you know, the last time that we tried to do this, you're coming off a pretty tough time with uh, the loss of your brother. And, you know, we'd like to dedicate this episode to him and, and what he did for the game of basketball and just touch on your brother and the impact that he had for you in your life and your family's life. Well, I appreciate uh, you you doing that, Aaron. It's um, uh, certainly uh, uh, still tough to deal with, uh, you know, a loss of a loved one, um, my only brother, my younger brother, um, and with the you know what we shared—not only family, but obviously, but uh, love of the game and um, the connections that he had all through all through uh, the United States. You know, and not being able to get down to the funeral was the toughest part. But uh, on a positive note, you know, I'm involved with a group of people down in New York City with my hometown, our hometown. And we're trying to put something together for early September where we can celebrate Tom's life uh, with his good friends and, you know, coaching colleagues, uh, you know, at all different levels. Uh, 
so uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, to to uh, being part of that. And it's not going to certainly take the place of my brother or, or being or not being able to get to the funeral. But it's going to at least give me, uh, you know, some feeling of closure, you know, to be with his good friends and, and, and people that, uh, that loved him as well. That's a great time to transition to, you know, you're the Canadian Coach K and another Coach K stepping away from the game next year, but you're the real Coach K in our eyes. So, you know, maybe people don't know when they see a coach at St. Evex, they maybe assume, oh, this guy just has coached out and he's, you know, born and raised on the East Coast, but that's definitely not true. You and your brother running around the streets of New York and your life there and going to Madison Square Garden, talk about uh, how basketball sort of started to come into your life and what, what really drew you to the game. Well, to quote Tom, he said, how could you not fall in love with the game uh, in the era that we that we grew up? And, um, you know, uh, most young people listening to this will will, will probably scoff at it because it's, <laughs> we're talking about the 1950s and the 1960s and going into, <laughs> going into the 70s. But it was a tremendous era of basketball. I mean, uh, I got to I got to watch Oscar Robertson play in college. I got to sit underneath the hoop. At Madison Square Garden and watch Will Chamberlain play the game. Uh, I got to play in Madison Square Garden as a high school player. Um, but it all started, I think, uh, when, I, when I attended Archbishop Malloy High School in Jamaica, Queens. And uh, I certainly wasn't any kind of an athlete, a 13-year-old. But uh, I walked into that gym and they had, uh, the previous year, Archbishop Malloy had won the National Catholic Championship. And Hall of Fame so, you know, later Hall of Fame coach Lou Carnesecca was mm-hmm. was the, was the coach, and Jack Curran was just transitioning into his first year of fifty five years of, uh, as a coach at Archbishop Malloy, and he he developed many many NBA players, including Kenny Smith, uh, Kenny Anderson, and um, anyway, I walked into that gym, and they were national defending Catholic champions, and they were on a forty eight game winning streak. And uh, the the electricity in that gym just uh, changed my life. I just said, this is unbelievable. I want to be part of this. And it wasn't that easy because I was a long way away. I think I was the first cut on the freshman team, uh, certainly the first group. Made the junior varsity as a 10th, 11th man. And then, um, you know, uh, basically as a 15-year-old, spent the summer in the playgrounds and, and made the varsity when there were only two or three spots open. And that was an opportunity to play under a great coach and uh, eventually get recruited to uh, Acadia University by legendary coach Stu Aberdeen, uh, who came down to New York and uh, was friendly with Coach Curran and uh, convinced a 17-year-old kid uh, to come to another country, to a little school in Nova Scotia, and uh, changed my life. We'll get there eventually, but, you know, leading them to a national title, um, setting single highs of 41. Okay, no joke. But just touch a little bit more on, you know, that, that high school experience um, at Archbishop, just the energy in the gym, but also having a place like the Mecca of Madison Square Garden in your backyard. I mean, um, I just have this visual of you and your brother either sneaking in or <laughs> pretending to be ball boys or something and just getting to see so many different players come through. I mean, what an amazing experience to grow up in a place like uh, like New York. Well, it was amazing. We went around playground to playground and watched our first idol, and Tom in particular has expressed 
justice, uh, you know, in many opportunities in the media, uh, was it was a player by the name of Connie Hawkins. They called him the Hawk. Yes. And um, unfortunately, he, his name got mixed up with that the betting scandal that happened in the early 60s. And even though he was eventually proved to be uh, innocent, kept him out of the NBA until he was uh, close to 30 years of age, at which point he went into the NBA and, and, and became a first-team NBA uh, All-Star. At that age, you know, basically having played play for the Globetrotters for a bunch of years. But mm. uh, so we followed him around the playgrounds. We used to go to Madison Square Garden back in those days. Uh, you had this GO card, which was like a general organization card. And for 50 cents, you could watch a college doubleheader sitting way up in the balcony. But that was fine with us. I watched Oscar Robertson score 50 points in the championship game of the holiday festival in Madison Square Garden with the sitting, sitting way up in that balcony. And anyway, that's that was the atmosphere we, you know, we, we grew up in. And, you know, I don't know. If, I don't think either one of us ever knew we were going to eventually, you know, go follow the career paths that we did. But we just mm. knew we loved we, we just knew we loved the game. And, um, you know, and eventually we both ended up devoting our lives to, to the game and to developing young players and giving them opportunities to get their education and, and, and play the game that they love. Yeah. Interesting that took my next question, which was, uh, you know, did you start to think about visualizing yourself as that career path but did you even visualize yourself as someone who wanted to play post-secondary or did that not become a reality until a coach actually showed some interest in you, in you uh, moving on oh no I wanted to play yeah. uh, unlike Tom who really loved the game but never played competitively uh, he did some coaching and obviously uh, you know all those years and years of, of scouting uh, he probably has seen more basketball games maybe than anybody in the history of of the game of basketball. Mm -hmm. Just went from gym to gym to gym, uh, mainly along the East Coast of the United States, because uh, he would not evaluate a player unless he saw him with his own eyes. Mm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it was just, uh, I don't think either one of us really thought about, about that, but I definitely wanted to play college basketball, enough so that I would go to another country yeah. and, and, and to get that opportunity and to show it that, you know, and you know, those days I was 17 years old, my whole freshman year of college, of university at Acadia. Yeah. In those days, you, you know, everything was, you know, do this, do that, get married, get a job, whatever. Although uh, Tom never married and I was 35 when I married, but at the <laughs> same time, uh, we took our time, but it was, it was a goal of mine to play college basketball for sure. And, and uh, I really got lucky to play for a great coach like Stu Aberdeen, who after, you know, we won our, after I graduated from Acadia, he went down and was the associate head coach of the University of Tennessee. And with, wow. the, and with the help of my brother, Tom, he basically was the architect of the Bernie and Ernie show, Bernard King, Hall of Famer, and, and Ernie Grunfeld, who was the president of the Washington uh, yes. uh, Wizards. And Tom was instrumental in, in, in then both, they're both New Yorkers and he and Coach Aberdeen uh, teamed up to, to bring them down to Tennessee. And, and uh, you know, the, that, that, that's how Tom got his start in the scout. Just, you know, he got known as a, somebody that could evaluate talent when he took those guys out of New York City. And, and they both were All-Americans at, at Tennessee. That's so cool. I just, yeah, the rich history of New York and just listening to you talk, I feel like you probably yourself could write a book on all your experiences. And 
What was the process, and you've mentioned at that time, of even thinking about going to a place like Canada? Did you know anything about it? And how did you come to making the decision that you were going to make your way up, up north and go for it? Because it, it you know, must have been a little bit overwhelming to think about it sometime, right? It definitely was. I mean, and, and you're talking, you know, you know, you're talking 1962. You're not right. talking about now where everybody has, you know, uh, fingertip access to information about everywhere. So I had to basically look at the map. And uh, <laughs> uh, one, one thing that was definitely encouraging was uh, a friend of mine who played at, uh, at Bishop Lachlan. Uh, you know, Mark Jackson played there amongst yep. uh, many other great players. A friend of mine uh, by the name of Danny Parinelli, he was also being recruited by Coach Aberdeen. So I knew I wasn't going up there by myself. I knew at least one person would be coming with me. And we both, were, you know, had the same backgrounds, basically, um, you know, lived approximately in the same area in Queens. And so, you know, that was uh, a positive. But it's funny, you know, in all the cleaning out of my office, it took me five weeks to get through my office. <laughs> I look back at and most of it, I you know, we ended up in file 13. But at the same time, I, I kept what was really relevant to me. And I actually had kept every recruiting letter. Now, you're talking, I mean, we're going back to 1962. I kept every recruiting letter from Coach Aberdeen. And I just read through them a few weeks ago. And in this process of, of, of moving home, and, uh, you know, basically what happened was I first said, no, I don't think I, you know, uh, that's too big a move for me. Uh, you know, I, the only other offer I had was from St. Gregory's Junior College in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't crazy about a junior college. I wanted to go somewhere where I could play for four years and not have to switch up halfway through. But um, I basically said, no, I, I don't no, Thank you, coach. And he, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He drove back down to New York and sat down with my parents and basically talked me into it. And uh, thank goodness he did, because like I said, you know, it changed my life. I got a great education. I got a chance to uh, ultimately work with the national team and coach in three Olympic Games. And uh, in addition to, you know, the, the success I've been fortunate enough to have with youth sports, you know, coaching and in, in world championships, coach against Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Charles Barkley, and then on the other bench, you know, uh, Dean Smith, John Thompson, Anyway, if I stayed in New York, what's the chances of that happening? Yeah. Probably not very good. You know, so thank you, Coach Aberdeen, and thank you, Acadia, for changing my life. Yeah. Learning lessons right away about persistence, right? You know, if coaches kind of took your first sort of, nah, I don't think so, and moved on, who knows what would have happened. You know, the relationship that you had, he wouldn't have had. So he saw something and was not willing to kind of give up on you, right? And um, that's super interesting as well. And um, I'm sure at some point along the way, you've used that same sort of skill set in your recruiting and, and trying to get someone to come, right? Knowing that you see a bigger picture for that person and trying to have them understand that it could be a good situation for them. You're 100% right, Aaron. And, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about in the last year, you know, as we didn't have games or whatever, and you talk about recruiting and what's happened in the States right now with that transfer portal, which is, I think, going to ruin college basketball myself. But, you know, what we've really lost, and e even in Canada, we've lost it. You know, when we recruit in Canada now, I mean, I can't speak for the whole country, but basically, especially being down here at one end of the 
you know, went, went into the country. Um, we're recruiting somebody, say, from Ontario. We, we fly them down and they have to visit the campus, which is, you know, a firsthand experience for them. But, you know, what I missed and which we don't see as often is, is going into the player's home, which Coach Aberdeen did. That's what changed my mind. He came into our home, sat down with my parents. Uh, I don't remember if we had dinner or not, but he certainly, you know, uh, sold them on the education that uh, I could get at, at, at Acadia and in Canada in general. And, um, you know, we don't get that same opportunity to make that connection with the parents that we used to just because of the way, you know, the, the world has gone in the last 10, 15 years. Um, but anyway, that's 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 interesting. You bring that, that's that that's certainly a uh, that's a game changer for me because I always felt that if I could get into a player's home and sit down with the parents, I got a pretty good shot uh, because uh, you know and you know I, I have a genuine interest in in the education and the well-being all you know all around well-being well-being of the students and not just the basketball end of it. If the if the parents can see that that usually has some, you know, they have some influence over their son because they want to see him not just succeed in basketball, but they want to see him get an education. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. Never really thought about, but I always think in general that as a society these days, you know, the internet and everything has given us many things. You and I are able to connect coast to coast and do a podcast, but that face-to-face -face interaction that we just lack so much of now, right? It's so easy to just send a text message or, um, an email as opposed to physically sitting down with someone. And and I think when you, you make such a great point that when you do have that opportunity to sit down, that physical presence does matter. It, it makes a difference when a coach walks through the door with Acadia on their shirt or, you know, St. of X on their shirt and is able to sit down and you can hear and pick up on body language. It changes things. And I wish we had more of that. Um, and, I, and I'm hoping that after COVID, maybe people have learned that um, those face-to-face -face things with friends, family, whatever, are just so vital to for relationships. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Talk about the Acadia time before you, you know, step into some coaching. How was that experience as a player, a university, you know, student athlete, you know, playing on the East Coast? I always, you know, have it, like we talked before, was having the experience to go out to nationals out that way and just those smaller school communities just getting so behind their athletic teams and so supportive and um, such a great environment. And I'm sure that you enjoyed every moment of that experience. Well, I did, Aaron. And, you know, Coach Aberdeen was, was a unique individual. He was five foot two, five <laughs> foot two. But he was a dynamo. When he recruited me, he was only, I don't know, 28 or something like that. He was, I perceived him to be quite a bit older, but <laughs> um, he was he was very young. He was a young guy, and he had us. We were playing in high school gyms. We never had my four years at Acadia. We never played. We never played one game on campus. Our high, our gym had been banned the year before I got there because it was too small, and uh, <laughs> you, you actually couldn't shoot from the corners because there was a track above the gym like that. All the old gyms were like that apparently uh, back in the day. And we played all of our games at different high school gyms <laughs> and uh, all of our home games. And our, our record at home over my four years was 42 and zero. We won every single game we played and, and, and never really played one game on campus. Uh, but Coach Aberdeen had us. We were playing in these gyms and maybe two, three, four hundred people. I don't know 
could could squeeze in with a shoe, you know, with a shoehorn. We thought we were playing in Madison Square Garden. He had us so pumped up to play the game, and um, you know, we we had some great players. We had my first year. I got there. We were we, we had six ten center from Baltimore, a six six power forward from Pittsburgh, a six a six six forward from Buffalo. Our point guard was from New York City, and I was from New York City. And then uh, my my you know my contemporary uh, Danny Parinelli, who I mentioned from Bishop Lachlan from New York City. So we had an amazing team, we, and it was we played in the first national championship ever. It was 1963. It was at St. Dennis Hall at the University of Windsor, which that year was still called St. Assumption College, became okay. University of Windsor the following year, and we lost. By the score of 53 to 50. So, uh, you know, no shot clock, obviously, no three-point line, whatever. But that same year, we went down to New York, and we beat Rutgers by, I don't know, a dozen. And then we played uh, NYU and held their All-American all Barry Kramer to 14 points, which actually uh, cost him the national scoring title that year. Mm-hmm. He lost the national scoring title by 0.1 uh, a, a tenth of a, of, of a point, and we held him well below his average. But you know, we were good. We, you know, it was a different game. The athleticism wasn't there that we have today. Whatever, and like I said, the, there was no three-point line and no shot clock. But we could play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, with winning a national title, and when you you went down back down to America to compete, you know, with Acadia. Did you and the other Americans kind of have that extra chip on your shoulder? Like, okay, we got to prove to these teams that, you know, we can play as well. Or was that not something that you even focused on? Absolutely. <laughs> I think the American guys were more, when they saw the schedule come out, they would put, you know, uh, you know, they, they check off those games. Yeah. Uh, not that we didn't, obviously, once we got into our league and season and once you, once you got into the, obviously, competing for a national a league championship and then eventually a national championship, obviously that became important. But when I first went there, you know, uh, that certainly those games that we played every year in the U.S. were huge in terms of recruiting, you know, the, how, how they resonated, the schedule resonated with the young kid from New York City or Buffalo or uh, wherever in the States. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then talk about that first national championship as a player. How did it feel? kind of fun and I'm sure that just more things that ignite the fire into you is just the love of the game and and keeping it rolling and and talk about that for you know a small little program like Acadia and getting them on the map must have been super fun well we had lost as I mentioned to Assumption College you know Windsor by that 53 to 50 score uh, that first year the second year we won our league again we we, we went back uh, to Windsor and the term term was at the same you know same place St. Dennis Hall and we got whacked. UBC, uh, you know, beat us, and then we lost. And then we lost to uh, uh, in the consolation round, anyway, to Loyola, I believe it was, or Sir George Williams from Montreal. And uh, so we had a chip on our shoulder when the Nationals came to Halifax, and uh, you know we had that. You know, we had a team that had, you know, those two years of national tournament experience under our belt. And, uh, and, and, you know, of course, we were playing at home instead of the, 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 uh, the wheels were re- returned, you know, the, from, from Windsor playing at home. And then we ended up playing Windsor in the final. Game goes into overtime. And, um, and uh, you know, we pulled it out and, uh, you know, made some history. 
Mm-hmm. Like I think when sit back nowadays and you look at what a Carlton has been able to do and now, you know, you've experienced it as a player three times as a coach, and but but your resume is so extensive. It's like it really does take so much to get to that national championship game, to the, to the nationals itself, and then to make it to a final and to pull it off. Like there's so many different things that have to fall in line um, to get there. And I'm, and I'm sure you've been through that, well, 46 times and uh, four or five years as a player for about, about 50, 51 years as a, as a basketball enthusiast, right? Exactly. Well, it, it, and, and that really makes it that much more remarkable what, you know, what Dave Smart and Carlton program has, has done. I'm not sure if it's great for the game mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of, uh, of uh, keeping you know, fans engaged. And at the same time, if it was me, I wouldn't be worried about it. I was on his end of the sta- you know, on his end of the bench, I wouldn't be worried about that. And I, I'm sure he's not. And, and, and kudos to Dave and everything he's been able to do. But uh, Dave and I have talked about it and how, uh, in the long run, you know, you have to have some luck. Now, maybe he's had more than, than most, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, you know, you have to stay injury-free. You have to make sure, you know, you don't get the, the wrong call at the wrong time. The ball just got to bounce your way to, to you know, because we probably have, uh, we won three national championships in my time at St. of X, but I would say there's, there were probably four or five other teams that were, in the same caliber, you know, category in terms of caliber. Uh, and for one reason or another, uh, we didn't get that bounce or we didn't get that call or we got somebody hurt, uh, you know, uh, in the in the practice right before the, na- you know, the national tournament. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a certain amount of luck involved in that for sure. For sure, yeah. And, you know, having guys like Brian Lee and Randy Knorr help too, don't they? Well, exactly. You, you, you have, uh, and those are the two point guards that, that, that got got it done, you know, in, in our three national championships for sure. Randy twice, of course, and and then Brian in that in that first one because you need somebody to, when you know when when uh, you know when the game's on the line, uh, you need that coach on the floor to uh, to keep keep things in order and make sure the ball gets to where it needs to get to. Were you a coach on the floor? Or were you a role player? What, 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 you know, when you played, what did you view yourself as? I was a scorer. I, I yes. uh, you know, I, I think I had, you know, a good sense of the game. You know, I mean, you, the more the more you watch, the more games you watch, and especially you try to watch it as a, as a student of the game, you learn. And I still watch, you know, watching the NBA playoffs. Uh, one of the things I did, I gave myself a retirement present <laughs> last month. I got a, 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 six, a brand new 65-inch TV. Yes. So, uh, you know, in time for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And But when I watch games, I'm thinking, you know, uh, why did he change that matchup? Why did he call this timeout? I mean, you're trying to get better, you know, you're trying to get better all the time. Amazing. And then, so you graduate in 66 and head off to Dalhousie for law school, of all things. Talk about that transition and what happened in those years between, you know, 66 and then accepting the role at St. Evex in 75. And then the, you know, the legacy starts from there and carries on for 46 amazing years. Well, first of all, I, I never thought I was going to be a basketball coach. I went on and, and uh, finished Dal, Dal Law School. Then I had to go back to the States and it was during Vietnam and um, you know, I had to deal with the draft and, and uh, you know, I, I knew my, my my future was probably going to be in Canada. So I really didn't really want to go to, want to, go to Vietnam if I could avoid it. <laughs> um, and fortunately, 
you know, uh, I was able to get a medical disqualification, but it took me a whole year to do that. And during that time, I had obviously a lot of time to reflect on, you know, the next step in my life. And um, it's funny, uh, you know, uh, people have crossroads. And uh, I loved law school. Had I gone and practiced law, I probably would have gone into the area of human rights, uh, social justice. Uh, that was that was my interest. Um, but I, after that year in limbo, uh, and it was, you know, there was a big, uh, you know, time of change in, in, around the world and, and particularly in the States uh, with, you know, civil rights, the Civil Rights Act and, and, uh, and, and Vietnam and all these things going on. I just gravitated back to, I said, look, before I make any decisions on my future, I'm going to go back to where I'm comfortable. And that was Nova Scotia. And then, you know, when I got there, Acadia offered me the opportunity to coach the junior varsity team. And uh, that was the 1970-71 season. And we won our league. Uh, I got, you know, my baptism and coaching. And uh, the, var- the varsity team that year, who I didn't really work directly with, but I certainly was on the coaching staff, they won the national championship. and was hosted at Acadia that year. They beat the uh, University of Manitoba the national championship game. And that that's basically sold me on coaching, even though I had never really thought about it before. That's amazing. And I think it's super interesting too. And tell me if I'm wrong in the research we've done, but you kind of, you sneak in and start working with the national team and coach Donahue before, before you get the Saint of X job. It's like, how does that come about? I always, it's always super interesting. The opportunities that, um, you know, we've, we've had Donnie Horwood and some coaches that have, you know, extensive careers. And there's usually something early on that they've had an opportunity to do. Whereas nowadays, I think a younger coach, there's so much more sort of, so much more ground to lay before they get to that opportunity. Talk about coach coming into your life. And I mean, you know, I'm saying this question sort of jealous that you've got those opportunities, you know? You're right. <laughs> there would be no chance of that happening today. But you know, <laughs> 1973, yesterday, I, I met Coach Donahue, who was a very good friend of my high school coach, Jack Curran, in New York. I had played against Coach Donahue's teams at Power Memorial, where he had Kareem. And although I never played directly in a game against Kareem, but at the same time, uh, you know, I played against his teams. And at a clinic in Montreal in 1972, I came up to him and I introduced myself. And he kind of sort of remembered me. But when I talked about Malloy, obviously he was familiar with that, you know, program and Coach Curran. And I just said, look, if there's any opportunity to work with the national team program, I just want to let you know I'm here. I was working at Loyola College as an assistant coach at the time. So the next year I get a call in uh, in the spring and uh, he asked me if I would be interested in being the manager of the national team. And I basically said, I mean, I jumped at the opportunity, but I just said, you, you know, coach, I want to eventually, uh, coaching is where I want to be. You know, I, I'll take the manager's job and I'll do whatever needs to be done there. But you, is it, you know, uh, would it be possible for me to be involved in as much of you know, the coaching as possible and help out whether it's stats or we didn't have video in those days, but, you know, but scouting or whatever. And he said, of course. So little did I know that I was the fifth person that he asked for that to take that position. <laughs> so, uh, so some things just work out your way, right? Anyway, the next year we're in training camp 
1974. The team's getting prepared to go to the World Championships in Puerto Rico. And um, the assistant coach, uh, he only had one assistant at the time. He got in, in training camp, got called uh, back to Acadia, believe it or not, because he, he got promoted to the dean of physical education. And they needed him on campus. He couldn't take the time off in the summer. And I just kind of slid into that position. And Coach Donahue was obviously comfortable with me. I think our New York background didn't hurt. But at the same time, he always told me, even though we became the very best of friends, and I was his assistant for 16 years, he always told me I was on a 24-hour renewable contract. So, <laughs> in other words, get the job done or you're, or you're gone. We need you. And uh, like I said, we didn't have video in those days. We didn't have, we all had one assistant coach. So, you know, whoever was going to be his assistant had to, he had to be able to trust 100%. Not only that I knew what I was doing, but that I was going to be loyal to him. And um, I guess that was the start of a beautiful friendship. And uh, like I said, he taught me more about life uh, than, than about basketball. Uh, and I think every player that ever played for him or coach that worked with him would verify that. Yeah, expand a little bit more on that. You know, I've read his book and Jay Triano talked about that as well on our, when we had him on. And just for those that don't know anything about Coach or have just heard the name, what was it that separated him and what was it that made everybody that has come across him feel so connected to him and what he meant to you? Well, he his philosophy was coach people, not players. And, you know, he, he would take long walks with his with his players and get to know them, find out what their goals were, what their family's issues were, what their family was like. And he, he was basically a tremendous, tremendous motivator. And um, that's that was his strength. He, I mean, he took a country in 1972 that was in 11th or 12th place in the second chance tournament for the Olympics. So, you, you know, you're probably... If there's 12 teams in the Olympics and you're 12th in the second chance tournament, you're like number 24 or 25 in the world. And, and, in, and in four years, in 1976, we finished fourth. We lost in the bronze medal game uh, to, the Soviet, to the then Soviet Union. So and he did that not because we had a lot of talent. The best player in the country was a guard from B.C. by the name of Billy Robinson. Yes. And uh, who unfortunately passed away in the last year. He was that good, hey? He was that good. Yeah, wow. He was the forgotten player in the history of Canadian basketball that I'm, you know, since I got involved in the early 70s. Uh, he was amazing. And, uh, but he was a rebel. And Billy would be the first one to tell you that. Um, and uh, he came into, you know, to camp with a, you know, long hair and the and the beads and the the, the beard and the kind of the hippie look. Yeah. And uh, Coach Donahue told him that, uh, you know, that wasn't going to make that wasn't going to cut it. You know, he's going to have to do things his way and whatever. And uh, he cut him. He cut him. He cut the best player in the country. The next year, it takes that takes a lot of guts to cut the best player in the country when you first, you know, your your first uh, your, your first thing you do when you take over a national team. Mm -hmm. and uh, But he sent a message. And uh, the next year, Billy came back, clean-shaven. He was still a rebel. But, <laughs> but uh, he, he basically uh, stayed in line. And uh, like I said, I love Billy, and he was a fantastic player. And 
you know, carried us to the, you know, uh, to the Olympics. Uh, and, you know, Coach Donahue uh, coached during four Olympic cycles. We went to all four Olympics with with maybe one-tenth of the talent that we have right now. Now, that's not a knock on anybody um, that's coached since, because I'm one of those guys that have coached <laughs> the national team since. But at the same time, it shows what an amazing coach. I mean, we've been to the Olympics once uh, since he, you know, retired in 1988. And he did it, he did it four out of four with, uh, you know, a fraction of the talent. And he did it by basically convincing players like Jay Triano to play for him for eight, nine years and uh, put their lives on hold. That's how much people enjoyed playing for him. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery on this rainy Friday afternoon. We'd like to give a shout out to the owner of Good Lad Clothing, Shane Meyer, our good friend, friend of the program, friend of the podcast, as it, it is his birthday today. So why don't you go down to Main Street in Vancouver, say hello, get some Good Lad apparel, wish him a happy birthday. And on the way home, pick up some Parkside beer at your local BC liquor store. Things are slowly going back to normal. So support local, support our sponsors, support the people that support us. Thank you, Parkside. Thank you, good lad. Happy birthday to Shane Meyer. Back to the show. Yeah, it takes a special person to be able to do that. And thanks for that reflection because I just think it's important for people to hear. And it's awesome to hear those stories. And you make such a good point about um, the national teams and stuff like that. I mean, when you think about your early on experience, did you find yourself sometimes walking around with your jaw dropped, just kind of pinching yourself thinking, okay, now I'm on my way to an Olympics. I mean, things that you were able to see and do in your early basketball career, when St. FX finally gives you that call and says, hey, we'd like to hire you, you must have felt um, quite prepared. I did, yeah, no, I did. I, I did. And I, I, you know, I always had confidence in in myself. I would say, you know, I was never a, a cocky player or coach, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I I, I, I can say that I believed in myself uh, and obviously still do. I believe in what <laughs> I could bring to a team. I believe what I could as a player, uh, as a coach, and now, you know, in my next, the next chapter as well. Um, and I think that well, because I think the reason why I believe that is because of, uh, you know, the work ethic that it took me, you know, to, to have to be able to achieve, to even make that varsity team in high school you know when i was the you know 11th man in the jv and only three guys off that jv team were going to make the varsity you know i know that i know i'll do the work that's necessary you know to be successful john wooden used to say make every day your masterpiece and i can't say that I've, uh, there's my masterpiece but the point being take on every day do what needs to be done to get better to do your job and and then you know I think that will if you, if you do that you're gonna that's gonna breed the confidence that you need to to succeed. I love it. And what was it for you as a young person, like you mentioned, not being able to give up and continue to improve? Was that your upbringing? Was it what you learned kind of just from the streets of New York and the people you were around? Was it a combination of a few things, or was it just this kind of inner belief you had in yourself that you didn't really know where it came from? I think it came from our parents. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of time to reflect since Tom passed away. 
about, you know, the direction of both of our lives. I mean, Tom graduated from Fordham University with magna cum laude uh, in philosophy and political science. I ended up, as we already mentioned, with a law degree. And uh, we both ended up devoting our lives to, <laughs> to, to, to the game of basketball and to helping people, you know, through the game of basketball. And I think that comes from our parents. You know, our, our parents were hardworking people. My father was a very good athlete, semi-pro baseball player who had a tryout with, try with the New York Giants, but couldn't go because he had a, because my grandfather passed away when, when uh, my dad was in the ninth grade and he had to go to work. And uh, my mom, as soon as, as, soon as uh, Tom and I uh, got of age to go to college, she went back to she went back to work. Just the work ethic that our parents modeled uh, for us, and uh, as well the the love of sports that you know that that came through. Our, you know, our dad taking us to uh, Madison Square Garden uh, for college doubleheaders as way back as 1956. NBA doubleheaders. I mean, I, the, you probably don't even know these names: the Rochester Royals, the Syracuse Nationals. Fort Wayne Pistons. Those were the teams back in the back in the day. You know, everybody knows the Knicks. But at the same time, that, I think that's where it came from. I think it came from our parents. That's cool. I love it. You're a special person, Coach. This is great stuff. Thanks for being with us. And then let's, yeah, Saint of X comes around, right? You start now. How did it? How did it go the first few years? What was your focus to get a program from a you know a small place like Antigonish? to being on the map nationally every single year and a place where people from all over would want to come to. Did you outline some personal goals for yourself and a program direction, or were you just sort of learning as you went those first couple of years? Well, I had the experience of, of recruiting at Loyola College in, my, in Montreal. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of the recruiting there as the assistant. And, uh, you know, New York City was only a six or seven hour drive away. I could go down to New York and fill up a van and bring them up to Canada. So, you know, and, and of course, my brother was just getting started out in the uh, in, in the scouting business as well. I, I started building a program from from two uh, directions, I guess you would call it. One is I had established some really good contacts in the city of Montreal itself, uh, Dawson College. And they were they were coming off a national college championship, so I had developed relationships with those you, you know young people. And one of my former teammates at Acadia, Richie Spears, who by the way is the first Canadian ever drafted to the NBA by the St. Louis by the old St. Louis Hawks, you know back in nineteen when would that be nineteen sixty four I believe. Anyway, he was coaching Dawson College, so I, I I had a good nucleus of kids coming from there, and then I went straight to back to New York. And uh, my brother Tom directed me to uh, Gil Green, a guard that I built the program around. Uh, I called Gil the uh, godfather of our program. Mm -hmm. uh, Gil was a, a, a player at Christ the King, uh, which, you know, you know, Lamar Odom, amongst, amongst others, uh, you know, great players come out of, out of Christ the King. And I just, you know, I, I, I brought in some good young players. And uh, the next year, uh, I brought in a player named Chris Salitri from Bishop Lachlan. He was a, a all-star in Brooklyn, Queens. See, back in those days, the scouting services were just getting started. And a lot of players were slipping through the cracks. 
Today, that would never, ever happen because everybody would be on YouTube, everybody would be on social media. <laughs> Nobody slips through the cracks anymore. But back in those days, I could get a player who was all Brooklyn Queens to come up and play for me at St. Vex. <laughs> and um, again, with Tom's guidance to direct me to who was still available and what they were like and who the coach was and break their game down for me. But at the same time, the same caliber player wouldn't be considering in Canada right now, just, you know, in this, in this day and age. So I started out with those guys and we went down and we played Duke twice in my first uh, three or four years. Played Villanova, we played uh, St. Joseph's, we played uh, Iona when Jimmy Val, Valvano, uh, his first game at Iona. Uh, Jimmy V, we played him. Uh, they blew us out of the gym. I had, <laughs> I had seven, I had seven, I had seven freshmen. But guess what? Those seven freshmen. Two years later, we were in the national uh, semifinal game. Uh, lost the, you know, at the, uh, in overtime. So I just went out and get get the best young talent I could and, and challenged them to play against the best schedule we could. And I think I put more pressure on myself to win than anybody than, than the school did or the fans did. Was the community of Antigonish and your athletic department, were they ready for you? Like, were they ready for the level of just sort of intensity and, and kind of focus and determination of yourself, do you think? Just an interesting question, I think, to because, you know, smaller communities and stuff, maybe they heard it from you when they interviewed you, or maybe you didn't interview, they just called you and said, we want you to take the job. But I'm sure there was probably a few years, it was like, who's this Coach K guy? And man, is he really working hard to get this program on the map? Well, a friend of mine just uh, messaged me oh, a month or two ago, you know, upon my retirement. And he was reminiscing about, he was a student on the, uh, on, on, on the campus during those days. And he said, he kept on hearing about this, crazy coach from New York so. <laughs> anyway yeah. and how he had to stand in line in the in the, in the snowstorm to get into the gym but and, 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 he, and he couldn't figure out why am I doing this but then when he got in the gym and and saw the crowd and saw the caliber of player that we had uh, and the excitement that these young you know talented players brought to the game um, you know he was sold he didn't miss a game after that so uh, they probably weren't really quite ready for it. <laughs> I figured. I just wanted you to say it, not me. So now it's on the record. <laughs> but I mean, 46 years later, they wouldn't have changed it for the world, obviously. And talk about some of those special moments, getting to those three championships. Um, we got to have a good battle with you with a crazy ending the second year, you know, the 2001 year with the foul call at the end and just so many different moments for you. Have you had the time yet to piece it all together? Are you slowly just sort of day to day, you know, you talked about the process of getting your office cleaned out, have memories and moments started to come back? Or are you still not there yet? Oh, no, they're, they're coming back. And to be honest, I, I think my mindset right now, Aaron, is not just to sit back and look back and I think there's a place for that, and I've been doing a lot of it in the last. But out of necessity, when you you know when you're cleaning up and trying to figure out what to keep and what not to keep, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm trying not to do too much of it because I I still, to me, I still have another chapter or two to go in my basketball, uh, you know, uh, journey. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the same time, looking back and not to go into great detail over the, those national championship teams, but 
The first one in 1993 was the combination of a four-year project where I went in the 1988 Olympics. Uh, I recruited three uh, big men, six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, um, from the Central African Republic and brought them over to Canada, not knowing a word of English. And uh, four years later, in 1993, uh, they all graduated uh, with their degrees in economics, I believe, and we won a national championship with them. So it was a, it was a tremendous uh, experience for our whole team, our whole community, my family, who basically took them in. And they all, you know, they all have gone on to successful uh, careers. Going back to, going forward to 2000, 2001, obviously Randy Knorr was, the, you know, he was the straw that stirred, stirred the drink. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he came and visited, and to this day, they said, why would, why would you come all the way from B.C. to, you know, to Antigonish, Nova Scotia? And he just said simply, he said, I looked around at the talent around me, and he said, I knew I could win here. And uh, the first day he arrived on campus, uh, we scrimmaged, uh, and uh, I said to him, Randy, you take charge. This is your ball. It's the same thing I told Stephen Nash when I took over as the national team coach in 95. I, I said, it's your ball, it's your team. You go forward with it. You know, we'll work together on this. And Randy just took over from, you know, from uh, from day one. And uh, again, you know, as you suggest, reminiscing that unbelievable game that you were part of, uh, where you know the crazy foul was called at the buzzer, and Danny Oliver, you know, who was a former Brandon Bobcat, of course, yeah, yeah. Goes, goes to the foul line. Uh, he makes one of them. We win a national championship. And he, uh, he they, they, they both, the first one was, uh, uh, was, was short, the second one was long, or vice versa, anyway. <laughs> anyway, he dominated the overtime. And uh, again, looking back at it, what's really special about that was my brother Tom was in the gym for that national final. And um, so, you know, uh, at one of my finest hours, I can look back and, and, and say, you know, my brother was there. So that, that, that you know, in retrospect, made it extra, extra special. That's so cool. Yeah, love it. And Randy was never, he wasn't dumb, man. He knew because that, you remember they used to have the U19 provincial team, right? And ironically, the second year we played it, the Nationals were hosted at Brandon. So all those guys, Fred and Jordan and Denny, they were all on that Nova Scotia team. So he knew, man, he knew in like three years, I got a chance to play with all these guys and probably when Denny ended up going back and, you know, why wouldn't anyone want to go out there and play with those special groups? But I'm sure for you along the years, um, so many special groups, so many special moments. And and one of the things I always appreciate about um, the coaches that are on here is they never really want to, you know, isolate certain groups or certain, certain individuals out because, you know, like you said yourself, there's many moments along the way you had a few teams as well that would have had a shot, but a certain bounce goes a certain way, a call, and uh, you know you can't just you can't just put your career on championships. There's so many different moments, and I love the story about taking um, those guys in and, and help, helping them grow because there is so much more to the Canadian university experience as well, right? As many of us don't move on and play professionally, it's happening more and more. But there is a an ends to that, and we need to get a degree and move on, right? And and I think you can take a lot of pride in that in yourself as well. It sounds like. Well, I certainly have, you know, I mean, I think everybody, when you first get into coaching, you coach because 
you love to play <laughs> and and it's the next best thing right uh, and then you the, coach because of the excitement of the games and I think a couple of things as I you know grew further into my coaching career two things happened uh, first of all from a technical point of view I started liking the practices I can't say can't say more than the games but I, you know the, the challenge of, of, of uh, developing the team in practice and you know, get get you know, getting the most out of everybody every single day in practice, which was a, a real satisfying part of this COVID year because we we were able to practice all year, uh, even though we only had the one game at the end. But our players came to practice, and we only had a handful of of, of slack practices, which again I think it emphasizes the change in my own coaching philosophy in terms of enjoying the practices and being prepared for them. But the, in the bigger picture. I started coaching, understanding that in the long run, you know, you can only play basketball for so long, and uh, eventually, you know, uh, you know, your education is what you're going to have to fall back on. So uh, I think that that big picture, you know, view of of my involvement with the game became clearer and clearer, you know, as I as I went forward and further into my coaching career. And did you ever think? Did you ever have a morning or two during COVID? And you know, you deciding it being your last year where you felt sorry for yourself or did you always have that where maybe someone was pranking you and like the guy from the twilight zone was going to step out but um or did you have sort of that john wooden mentality of just making every day your masterpiece and do you still live by that well i can honestly say i never felt sorry for myself Mm. i uh, i just basically switched gears when when as you know as one disappointment after another you know, came upon us. We had to deal with them. I switched my gear to the gear of how can I help our players get through this, and you know, and assuring the mental health of uh, of all of our you know of all of our kids. I, I honestly, uh, you know, I, I put more emphasis on that. I'm just going to say how can how, how can all right. I got to I got to give them some bad news because it looked like at one point we were going to have some kind of a season, even though it might be just be some exhibition games in the Atlantic Conference or whatever. And then and that they put the kibosh on that as, as cases spiked in Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, whatever. But no, I, like I said, I, I basically focused on uh, on the team and getting them through the year. Mm. And actually, uh, ac- academically, this is probably the best year that we've ever, we've had in a long time uh, overall in terms of the GPA of our team. And I think it, they have more time on their hands because they didn't have road trips and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, given the you know the COVID you know frustrations, they could have easily have uh, you know blown you know blown that off. But uh, we put an extra focus on that, and and that paid off. For, that paid off as well. Love to hear it. Yeah, I think there's times as coaches, no matter what level you're at, as coaches, we love to give the team the keys, right? You you run the system, run the engine, and you, and all help you along the way. But then there are times where you know, our guys really need to lean on us as the adult in the room and realize that they are just young people. And so helping that, helping have someone you mentor and manage them through something like COVID, I'm sure um, was super vital to them and the, the approach that you took. So that's important stuff to hear. Well, like I said, I took it on as a challenge, uh, knowing that you can only control what you can c- control. And I, I just try to deal with the controllables and, uh, and uh, you know, not worry about the uh, you know the things that that are way out of my uh, uh, out of my control and decision making. So, yeah, I mean it's 
you know, we're still frustrated uh, right across the country, but there's light at the end of the tunnel right now. And, um, you know, I feel really good that uh, the program at Santa Vex is in really good hands with, uh, with Terrell Vernon. And uh, there's, a, there's a really good nucleus. Uh, the shame of missing this season was that we had a team that, you know, had, had a very good chance of, of uh, winning a league championship and, and, and you know, uh, competing with the better teams in the country, I think, at the national tournament, which we were supposed to host, uh, had not, had not uh, COVID, uh, you know, taken, taken control of the situation. But having said that, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, what Terrell's going to do with the program and looking forward to supporting him going forward. And, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully Santa Vex will get an opportunity to host the Nationals in another year or two. That's awesome. And uh, almost an hour in with an absolute legend, and we're so thankful. Before we get to some goofier questions, if I were to ask you from a, a country perspective, and I know you won't be able to speak for every province, but what are a few things that we need to work on and be better at to help continue to have the game grow? Um, do, we need to, do we need to connect our clubs to our high schools? Is it coaching, mentorship? Is it less you know, individual skill development and more team play. Are there a few things in your mind that maybe stand out that you'd like to see happen for, um, you know, younger programs and coaches across the country? Well, I think the model that uh, I've seen in Ontario with, uh, you know, the OSBA um, and then the, you know, the North Pole uh, Hoops uh, NPH League across the country, I think that really has helped keep some players home. And uh, I think, you know, the opportunity to develop coaches when you're competing with that kind of a level of a caliber of player uh, is going to help. Now, I, I, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm like to see more of our Canadian, you know, top top notch players stay stay in Canada. And, you know, again, the, the more of those players stay in the country, the more. The, our coaches are going to develop. Our coaches are going to develop as well. That's that's not that's you know that's I think a difficult question because our country is so broad and this, you know what the issues are in Newfoundland are a lot different than what they are in BC or Saskatchewan or whatever. Fair enough. Tell us though, right? You've talked about generations upon generations upon generations of players that you've been able to see live who to you is the best basketball player you've ever seen or coached against or well i'd say the best basketball player i ever coached against was michael jordan because i had the opportunity to coach against him oh three times i believe in the 80s one twice in the 1984 los angeles olympics um, and uh, the year before in the Pan American Games in Venezuela. Um, so I would say that clearly he's the, you know, he's the best basketball player, you know, I, I've, ever, I've ever had a chance to coach against for sure, and probably the best basketball player I've, I've ever seen. How do you feel about having ketchup on your macaroni? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Three times no. Perfect. One for each championship. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Corbin and I are firm no on that as well. There are some uh, kind of dark human beings on the show who have felt like they do like that, but we don't think that that's uh, anything we should go near. Do you like music or do you read much or both? 
Yeah, I don't really. I'm not really heavy into heavy into music. I used to be. You know, I used to really like、uh, jazz and some Jackson Brown and some light rock and stuff like that. Okay.、Uh, I'm not. Can't say I'm really heavy into music. I've I've been at a I've been at a, a Rolling Stones concert. So、uh, nice. in Hal in Halifax with fifty thousand other people.、Um, so you know,、uh, that's kind of my era, I guess you would say. That and、uh, that and some Jordan Croucher. Yeah, Jordan. Exactly. Exactly. I haven't heard his new album yet. Ralph,、uh, give him a shout out. For, shout out for that. But he did send me. He did send me a couple of、uh, cuts off of it. You know, a little while ago. So nice. He's actually super talented. Great voice. I remember Randy saying. That he would always sing when they'd be out and stuff like that. So it's kind of like just something that he had just naturally grown into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about about that. Is、uh, he、uh, he didn't sing very much when he was uh, you know uh, well not publicly anyway、mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a you know student athlete. But one day he came up to me. He says, "Coach, what do you think about me singing the national anthem before the you know before one of our games?" And I thought about it, and I kind of wasn't crazy about it. But I said, "All right, you know, I said, you sure that's not going to bother you, throw you off, or whatever." Anyway, he did it, sang very well, but he played very poorly. So <laughs> that was the end of that. You know, I think he sang at a couple of hockey games, but、uh, he didn't have to play after that. So yeah, that's Jordan. <laughs> Who's the greatest player、uh, that you've coached? You say I know no no one likes to single out, or are there a handful of people along the way that have you know maybe taught you a lot about the game and and how you can coach as well? Probably I have to say Steve Nash. I mean it's hard not to say him. I mean <laughs>、uh, even though when I coached him he was a young player, you know he was after his senior year at Santa Clara, and then after his first couple of years、uh, with the Phoenix Suns. Could you see it though? Like could you just see? Oh yeah, had, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you can see it with his the, the way he played the game, but you know his court sense. You know he had that ability to see players that develop that you know most human beings can't can't see. It's a, you know a, you know he was born with it or whatever. But and and just his his whole attitude. You know I like to tell the story about his rookie year with the Suns when he was playing behind Jason Kidd and. Kevin Johnson and and I called him up in the month of February. I was checking with you know with all the players, and he hadn't been you know I watched I checked NBA box scores every day to this to you know、uh, to this day,、mm-hmm. and、um, he hadn't been in the game fourteen straight games. So I figured you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking to a you know a young man who's pretty discouraged. And I got on the phone with him, and he said you know I said how you doing, Steve? I'm great, doing great. I said well, how do you feel about You know, you know all those、uh, DNPCD. You know, no, did not play coach's decision. And he said, "Coach," he said, "I'm good with it." He said, "Look, I'm playing behind two of the best guards in the league." He said, "The practices are my games. I have to come to practice every day and and compete with those guys. And if I do that, I'm going to get where I want to get to." So that, that's that's you not just admire that, but you learn something from it, and you can pass that on to. Passed it on to generations of players going forward. Sometimes it's just about a little bit of perspective shift in your own brain, right? If you if you find a different way to look at something, you can make it a, a positive, and that says a lot about Steve and himself, right there. And 
Um, it's so fun to see him on the sidelines now coaching and, and doing his thing. I'm sure that probably gives you great pride as well to see. Exactly. And I, you know, watched a lot of the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets games this year. And certainly, I, you know, from a distance, I've seen him grow tremendously. And uh, as you would expect, uh, because, A, number one, he never really coached before at this level. And, <laughs> and number two, you know, like I said, he's a, he has a tremendous sense of the game. But, you know, watching, watching the timeouts, Early in the season, and we looked like uh, I wasn't sure if uh, D'Antoni was coaching or who was. I mean, it was it was. Now you're just watching. He's got total control over what he wants to do, and uh, he, he's certainly grown as a coach. And I I don't know right now. Uh, although I don't know if James Harden's going to be uh, available for the rest of the playoffs, but uh, at the same time, he's. Uh, you know, he's, he's done a remarkable job and they have a chance to win a world championship. Yeah, pretty crazy. Do you have a favorite bag of chips that you like to eat? I'm very simple. Uh, just the Lay's classic chips. Um, original? Uh, uh, original. I'm one of those guys. If I go, if I go get ice cream, I get vanilla. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just a simple guy who likes simple things. This is a stretch, but along your way, have you ever met a coach by the name of Rich Chambers? Oh, yeah. I know Rich Chambers. Because yeah. that's, that's my high school coach. And so we had oh, him wow. on a couple yeah. episodes ago, and he said, I live in chips, I love chips, but the only thing I eat is original Lay's. Okay, there you go. So you, you are go. not you are not alone, all right? Yeah, yeah. No, I know Rich from uh, well. Brian he, uh, Brian Lee told me a lot about him. Yeah. But uh, and they kind of introduced us before. But we coached against each other uh, in the, uh, or maybe he was coaching the women. Anyway, we coached. We co- both coached in the 2001 Canada Games. Ah, uh, okay. So uh, we got to know each other there. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Two more questions for you. Uh, Who have been the most important people in your life? Well, other than my family, which, which of course would trump anybody else, my you know my parents, my brother, my sister, my my wife, my three children, uh, grandchildren, whatever. Other than that, it's it's clearly Jack Donahue, because you know when he passed away, they asked me to write a, a memorial to him in, in the Halifax paper, and you know I called him uh, you know uh, my mentor, my brother, and my best friend, and that kind of sums it up. Uh, he changed my life by, you know, giving me this opportunity with the national team and to learn from him about, you know, his values, his family values and, you know, how to deal with people. He's just uh, a wonderful man. I, 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 I think of him and his family every single day. It's beautiful. Wish I could have played for him. I've been, he sounds like a great guy. Now, you've mentioned so many times in this episode and I think it's so important for the listeners to just, you know, someone like yourself, 46 years plus the years of playing, being around the game, it would just be easy for you to, you know, figure out what you're going to do with your free time now and, and your, your mentoring coaches and you, you've got some plans under your belt here, it sounds like. But uh, up to this point, if you could do it all again, you would what? I'd do it all again. <laughs> That's as simple as that. I don't think I would change I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things you might say. I shouldn't have had, to, had an extra beer or I shouldn't have <laughs> ate this. Or, I mean, I'm just joking, but I'm saying, I know, I mean, look, I look back over those 46 years, and the thing that I, when I took over the program, I basically uh, expressed to the media and to anybody that wanted to hear, I guess, at the time, that what I, my goal was to uh, 
do two things, put a competitive team on the floor year in, year out, and to graduate our players. And I think I've been able to do that. You know, in some years we, you know, fell short in one area. Some years we exceeded expectations. Uh, but overall, over 46 years, we, you know, I think I grew up in the States and, you, you know, the barometer in terms of a successful uh, year generally speaking, is if you win 20 games. And we averaged 20, we averaged over 20 wins a game for 46 years. And we made the playoffs and, well, there were no playoffs this year, 42 out of the 45 years uh, that I, that we had playoffs that I coached. So, you know, I think, and and, and I don't know the exact percentage of, gra- of, of our graduates, but uh, every single player, when they got up on the stage to get their degree, I was there to watch them get their degree because I learned early in my career that uh, that would be, you know, probably the greatest satisfaction I, uh, that I, that I have. So I, I don't, I don't have any regrets and, and uh, it's basically been one great memory. I'm just right now wondering what the next chapter is going to bring. I'm excited about it, but at the same time, not, you know, especially with COVID, not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be, it's going to involve uh the game of basketball, and I know that I need to be in the gym. I know I got to be around young people because that's what motivates me the most. The book is definitely not closed on you, Coach. I think you you got lots left, so we love to hear it. And any last reflections before uh, you get on your way and probably go? Let me guess, turn on the sixty-five inch TV and uh, watch some NBA hoops, or? <laughs> well, that's that's my uh, order. That's what I'm going to be doing tonight. But I have. At uh, at six o'clock your time, I'm, I'll be on a Zoom call with the U19 national team coaches as well. So a little bit of uh, if you want to call it that work, I don't really call it work, but then I mix that in with uh, watching some NBA. Awesome. And for those that aren't aware, I believe that would be like ten o'clock your time, right? So ten can, o'clock. Yeah, I can barely make it to ten o'clock these days, and I'm 43. Coach, come on, you're making me look bad over here. <laughs> Well, I'm a, I'm a night owl. I like to stay. I'm, I'm up every night to 1230, you know, one o'clock. Uh, you know, those those games, uh, you know, Roy Ranner and the Sacramento Kings, they were, they were killing me this year, though, because, you know, Roy and I worked together for seven or eight years and won a world championship together in 2017 mm-hmm. with the U19s. And he was with, you know, with Sacramento, his games would come on at 11 o'clock our time. So uh, I try to stay up and watch his game so I could talk to him about the next day about, you know, what went on, who got hot, matchups, whatever, things like that. But, yeah, no, I, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lifer and I just love doing it. It's awesome. Well, if anything, although you're still, you know, you have things you want to accomplish, you can allow yourself, if your body chooses to sleep in a little bit more these days, you can have a few extra minutes of rest before you <laughs> get your day going, right? Well, if I want to, yeah. But I'm yeah. usually up around. I'm usually up around eight, get moving, and you know, and uh, get into a routine. Uh, you know, a different routine, but whatever it is, whatever that routine is, routine is going to be. But you know, get into it and, ta- and tackle a day and make it fun. Perfect. I love it. And this is, and then again, from Corbin and I, we totally appreciate you um, wanting to come back and, and sit down because I think this is just an episode that was on our checklist in terms of people we really would like to see on the show. Um, and you can hear by your stories, your perspective on life, the people that you've met, the relationships that you've had, and the impact that you've had on the game, not only in the province, 
but in, you know, in our nation. And uh, you're an icon and super, super grateful that you were able to be with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. And I'm glad this uh, got a chance to do it again. Me too. Great episode. Don't forget to like it, subscribe, and we will catch you on the next one.